Hi everyone, it's Dana and John from Game Tree. You're listening to the Scene World podcast. Hello, welcome to the Scene World podcast. Hello, hello, welcome. Our good old friend Dennis is with me again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right <laughs> All righty. So in a minute, um, AJ and I will be talking to Yannick Belzell. Uh, and he is the um, story writer from the latest Turtles game, Turtles Shredder's Revenge. Uh, but before that, we have some news. So I wrote it down. Let's talk about it. Well, first of all, uh, Kotaku announced that there will be um, a Super Mario remake with Chris Pratt, which is amazing because um, there's also a link to a YouTube preview, and it really is funny as hell. Um, super I awesome. Think, I think when I imagine Chris Pratt as Super Mario, um something doesn't fit <laughs> but um, but maybe his voice will fit i don't know well um it's done using the unreal engine and it's looking great yeah so i can only suggest checking it out well the the interesting thing is um so far nintendo didn't stop it and um i mean if you get chris pratt to work with you i think they made it somewhat somewhat official yeah well so i'm looking forward to it anyway the next thing there is a retro gadget game on steam that's super super amazing um it means it's a game where you can put together your own retro gadget wow okay yeah. so kind of sim simulation or what Exactly, you kind of simulate that you put together, I don't know, your own gaming console or whatsoever. Okay, nice. So it's so it's um it's a game for tinkering with hardware, probably for people who are not good at hardware in the real life like me. So it's something I will totally check out. <clears throat> And they have chosen for their announcement trailer TikTok as a platform. And I will link to the TikTok video. So far, it's a German video, but uh, by now, when this interview is uh, when well, when this interview uh, podcast is released, hopefully they will also have an English version. And if they have, I will link to the English version instead. By then, yeah. Nice, nice. So, all right. So, I'm gonna put together 10 Neo Geo consoles and uh, make a Super <laughs> Neo Geo of it. Can I make it? I don't know. I mean, maybe. I, you can only it. know so much from from the trailer. Um, anyway, it's it's interesting. I mean, right now, in those days, lately, there are a lot of interesting um, arcade games. Um, or well gaming tinkering related games on steam released i mean just um just recently we spoke about arcade paradise which is an emulator for an arcade hall where you mm -hmm, first have mm -hmm. to clean the toilet and st <clears throat> and stuff and afterwards okay. and afterwards you can really after you managed all the the hateful stuff you can really play on real arcade machines 
So okay, it's it's really interesting. Yeah, and I mean, even Joachim Hesse, who is a here in Germany, a pretty much known um, figure in the retro community for for having been an, an editor uh, for PC Action, one of those um, German um, commercial magazines. He even said he had the wrong impression at first because uh, he thought like cleaning toilets is not what he what he would do in a simulation. But when he came to the playing part, he was totally amazed by how accurate and how real it feels to play arcade games in this game. So he voted a thumbs up for it. So perhaps it's something I even should check out. We will see. Interesting. Yeah. Sure. Well, anyway, um, next topic would be Monkey Island. And regarding Monkey Island, I have actually three news, three in one from three different people. Uh, for once, the Kickstarter to translate um, Monkey Island um, Island book, all you need to know about the saga from the original French into English. This Kickstarter project passed with flying colors, so there will be an English version. And also, at the same time, Nico Barbat, who I also know since 25 years because he was around when I started in the retro community, um, he has his own publishing company and he got the right to translate the French book into German. And the German book is already available for purchase from him. So he, he self, um, how to say, self-financed it, not going over crowdfunding. But of course, I was a bad person and I still decided to go for the next better one. As I don't know French, I still participated in the Kickstarter for the English translation. Because I would choose English over German any time. Because the original author is from France, and obviously he is fluent in English and French. So, as you know, I'm never a fan of translation because I always think <clears throat> there is some contents missing um, as the creator or the people who, who speak would have said certain things in a different way. And since he will be doing the English version, not the translation per se, but obviously he will look over it. I guess it will be closer to the original French book than the German one. As some other person did the work and he couldn't, you know, check if it's the way he would want it to be. Anyway, that would be my reasoning. Of course, I'm not shitting here on the work from Nico Barbat. Um, it's probably a well-versed German translation. Just when I have the option between English and German, I would use English all time. If you didn't notice by now, because everything I do in my life for my hobby is in English. I don't do German content, <laughs> which is interesting because when I meet other Germans at Gamescom and other events, they are like, interesting, I never heard you speaking German before. <laughs> <So> <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, we are seeing world. We make uh, our content in a language that the world understands. So um, exactly, yeah, exactly. It's English for now. 
Maybe English. sometimes, maybe it will be Chinese from uh, in the future, but um, for now, I think it's it's English. Yeah. No, but a lot of people say that actually, but yeah. I think um, for my personal experience being 21 years on the internet, yeah. so many Chinese people, even uh, especially those working in business areas, they are very fluent in, in English. Indeed, yeah. yeah. And even yeah. they can pronounce the infamous TH by now. So Indeed. it's Indeed. no longer an issue. And mm -hmm. just recently I saw an article about um, that between uh, 2015 and now compared to 2015, where 5% of the Colombian population was fluent in English. Now it turned into 15% in the year 2022 because jobs are more demanding to know English rather than Spanish and you are getting higher paid great jobs, better payment, better working conditions. So there are a lot of people in Colombia now being English teachers and you know study to be English teachers and stuff. So English seems to be the way forward and it's, it's super interesting that uh, compared to 20 years ago when I started I don't need to know Mandarin, which is actually the original language, not Chinese, mm -hmm. even though yeah. everybody says Chinese. You don't need to need you don't need to know French or Spanish anymore. With English, in many cases, you are just fine. Mm -hmm. Anyway, yes, that's actually the reason because I don't want that people are disappointed with me with me because I didn't buy the uh, German book from Nico Barbat. <laughs> yeah, and um. The the next news um, regarding that, the last bit is actually that because it became one of the most sold uh, games recently, I mean, it's sold with flying colors, <laughs> a word I'm using a lot today, and um, they actually decided to make a native Linux version as well now. Cool, yeah. So it's not Amazing. only PC and Mac and Switch and PlayStation, and Xbox, but now it's also Linux. Yeah. That's pretty cool, actually, for a commercial game. Yeah. Amazing. I know. I know. It's pretty, yeah. pretty awesome. Good move. Yes. And, well, and the other one is that, unfortunately, the Pink Gorilla store by Kelsey Lewin got robbed recently. Wow. Yeah. This is bad news. This is really what bad. Happened? What happened? Well, just somebody came in with a pistol during the day and dropped them, you know. Wow. But nobody wasn't cheered, nobody was hurt. So that's good. This is terrible. I think um, that even in the retro gaming scenes, people get robbed. Uh, uh, wow. Yeah. Terrible. Totally agree here. Totally agree here. I was so shocked when I heard it. I mean, especially since since we know her and she has been a guest uh, recently in the podcast. So yeah, that's hope that's she's really fine. hope she's fine. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I will link to the tweet she did after the robbery. Of course, she's in shock, and uh, well, I mean, it was in the news and stuff on television. In local, local local news and stuff. So now at least the store is famous, but hopefully 
Yeah. It will be good for her. At least she has some positive outcome of it, you know. Uh, it's, okay, it's really Kelsey, all the best for you. Greetings. Yeah. Well, the thing is, now since 2010, at least here in Germany, since in 2010 the retro craze started, people who are not into the retro scene actually know that you can make money from selling certain rare games Indeed, and yeah. Pokemon cards and action figures and comic books and music records. Yeah. Um, pardon me, it's called vinyl nowadays. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think even the masses know that uh, this stuff is pretty much worth something and um, so people have some weird ideas and stuff like this can happen exactly exactly yes well that's of course the disadvantage as the general public now knows that you quite have some value in your shop you are more likely a target you know yeah indeed yeah indeed yeah as you said I think around 2010 or or something um, most of the people thought like retro games this is kind of garbage they throw <laughs> throw away <laughs> and um, so nobody came to the idea to to rob you for your garbage you have but yeah. now uh, things are completely different uh, you are like um, high value shop with stuff like this exactly exactly yeah and upon, honestly, I wouldn't be able personally to run a store because I would like to have this thing all in my own collection rather than indeed, selling it indeed, to other, yeah, to other yeah. people. I mean, I mean, you have it easier than anybody else. You can do your own stuff. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Yeah. I do only, my own stuff. The only difference is when when um, when albums are not for sale anymore and it gets high prices on eBay and other auction platforms, you're not the one benefiting from it. No. But the so-called oh, scalpers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well. Yeah, okay. And and the last bit of news is actually that the German e-book club or association in Germany now has a new well, president, and that would be Carsten Strothmann. And I know that because I sent him an email regarding our last podcast episode, which was the Atari dig. And I asked him if he wants to spread the news around his members. And uh, he gave he gave me an email reply saying, oh, by the way, I'm the new the new hire. <laughs> I'm the new head of disaster so yeah congratulations i mean i mean we we spoke about the abook um club a few years ago when they went from being only german and national when they opened up and be more focused towards international um so it's good to hear from them again and see that um it's going forward. I mean, it's not even the biggest Atari um, club he, um, in general, but also one of the longest running. I mean, it's running since 85. Oh, wow. Which is amazing, you know. Almost as old like me. <laughs> Almost. 
almost. Almost, yeah. With why? 85? You you are born in in 80. Yeah, ex oh, yeah exactly. Yeah, 83, yeah. 85, just Indeed, two years yeah. difference. Yeah, true, true, true. Yeah. Mm. Now okay. now I broke the news about your age. But it's in Wikipedia, so yeah, people can read it anyway. Yeah, yeah it's, it's quite well known. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, that would be all from my side. Um, so I would say nice. let's jump to Quebec in Canada and talk to our guest. Let's go. Enjoy. Bye bye. Today. We have another guest who would believe it, another podcast episode. And this time it's Yannick Belsin from Tribot Game. And you are the script writer of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge, I've read, right? Yeah, that, this is all true. No lies, no lies. It's all true. Awesome. So welcome to the show, man. Oh, thanks. Welcome. Perhaps we should start with a little story. The thing is, as I'm not a native English speaker, I only just rediscovered the original Turtle Game Boy games six years ago when I had an accident and I needed something that I can sp spend time with in, in my bed while, while trying to get better. And I actually figured, now that I know English, that the original Game Boy games from Turtles actually had a story. I was like, oh my God, finally I can read, there is a story. So we should put emphasis on this, that there is a script writer on games. Even though yes. you had animations, intros and stories in the games. So very excited to have you here. But usually we start with our guests asking, how did you get involved into computers and the video game industry or computer game industry? How did that happen for you? For me, it started, it really started with an interest in computers and video game at a very young age. I was pretty lucky because my dad, my dad never finished high school, but he was always curious about tools and technology and building and how things works. So he was really interested in computers. So we got a computer like early on when I was a kid, like an old 10D 1000TX. We had like, it, it, tiny joystick and I remember playing a lot of the old text Sierra games on floppies and stuff like that like a lot of King's Quest, Police Quest, all of those, Space Quest, all of those and I guess that also without realizing it got me into the way stories were told in some sometimes primitive means uh, with these type of games. So I got into computer games and video games really early on when I was a kid. I really enjoyed those, but I really moved from computers to console gaming, like when the Nintendo came up. Like I had friends who had Commodores who and played Atari games a couple of times, but it I really got the bug once it, it became the cartridge era, really with first the NES, and then that became a big part of my life, of my creative life, of just, drawing and making up stories about games or just like I was within my friends I was really into like back when we were renting games reading the instruction booklets with all of the stories and the, what they would write about the world of the games the bad guys and stuff like that so I was really into that part of it and that moved on into Super Nintendo and a bit about into the Nintendo 64 era then I sort of did I went to college and Money being what it was, I didn't have the money to buy the new consoles at the time. So I would go to friends and sometimes play some PS1 games 
and the other platforms. But I really came back to gaming, and by that I mean owning my own console, like with the GameCube in the early 2000s. And from then I started working into, I got into the industry. I was doing pixel art on cell phone games, but pre-smartphone. So I worked at Gameloft where I was a 2D artist. So I did a lot of porting Ubisoft games on old uh, Nokia with the screens the size of a stamp. So I did a lot <laughs> of that. And eventually I made my way, I found my way to doing some more art. Then later on, I went, I became a freelance artist. But when my cousin and his friend had started a company, which was Tribute Games, they were making their first game called Mercenary Kings. And he was telling me like, this was also way back when, oh, I see that you are on Twitter a lot and it's 140 characters and we need descriptions for all of the gun parts in the game. And it's 96 characters or something. So given that wow. you seem good with putting words in a small text field, would you do that? So I entered narrative design by first writing descriptions of items and then worming my way into, hey, maybe we should have a bit of story here and there. And then became like the first and so far only narrative designer attribute games. Awesome. So it's actually a family business. From what I understand. Yeah, it's family business, but my cousin is two months older than me. So it's not legacy family business. <laughs> it, just, it just happened that he launched his own outfit and he just wanted, he needed someone, I guess, who he could trust and that, would, that he knew he would be agreeable to work with. Awesome, awesome. Which is quite interesting because many people I meet in the in this video game industry during to our podcast and the hobby, a lot of hire and fire is taking place. So I see on your LinkedIn, you are there for almost 10 years. Oh my God. Yeah, the company, I came in like a couple of months after it was founded. For a while I was full-time, then I was, now I'm was freelance and then and now I'm part-time for the company because depending on where we are in the production cycle the need for narrative design stuff is stronger sometimes not needed as much but yeah I've been with the company in different states for 10 years now uh, or roughly 10 years and yeah it's been great I like I said earlier like I I worked at Gameloft and I remember being there seeing the company go from 20 employees to 150 and ballooning and becoming even bigger. So I feel like I've worked in a big, in a couple of big companies. And awesome. I really enjoy the fact that Attribute Games, where we are a, a strong handful of people, and that the community feeling of everyone pulling together to create the games and making sure they work. And it feels Somehow our games feel handmade and it feels very special to know most of the team or interact and know everyone. The the critical acclaim when this announced trailer was made a long time ago, I think it was originally planned for March and then it actually came out in June. I think the original release date was March 15th, which was interesting because it's my birthday. So it was like, wow, the game is originally coming on my birthday, but there was a delay. But the original acclaim they, was... They did that on purpose. I don't know. Just, just um, but the interesting thing was that everybody said, wow, .emo is the publisher and Tribute Game are the creators of the new turtles. That must be awesome. It's, we were really lucky to partner with .emu on this and uh, we were pretty psyched for the game to come out when it was announced. But it just got delayed because the uh, 
the production demands ended up being a bit bigger than we expected. Actually, what was the reason that you decided to go for the 87 TV series as the the base of the game? You could have also done um, the newer Turtles as as a role play for the game, but you decided to make more like an arcade game, like the original arcade games, like <laughs> the cabinet I have behind me. Wait, yeah, were you a fan uh, of the original series, the TV show, or as in Germany they call it the Hero Turtles? Yes, we were huge fans. I think the reason that we chose the the eighty seven version is that that was like for us. And I feel like in the larger pop culture consciousness, it's the iconic version of the Turtles, but it's also the version of the Turtles that the arcade games are really formed around. So that was important to us to have that version, but it was also the version that we were the most passionate about that because that's the one when we grew up as kids that we saw and watch on cartoons after school. And our notion of these characters comes from that cartoon, from the vocal performance of the actors in that cartoon, the theme song, all of that. If it had not been available to us, We love the Turtles so much that I feel like we either invented maybe our own Franken-Turtle version, or (laughs) maybe it would have been based on one of the other cartoons iteration, but it happened that our favorite one was available to us, so we jumped on that one. Awesome. Awesome. By the way, a little correction. The name that we had in Germany come, ca- ca- did not come from the censorship in Germany, but the original came from UK. Yeah, I didn't say so. it was censorship. I just said it was just known in Germany as the Hero Turtles. Exactly, but it's the and name... the French actually... Sanders theme is amazing in Germany. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and that's, a, that's another thing. In your announcement trailer, you actually had two versions. One for the Germans, with Frank Zand singing the thing in German from the original cartoon scene. But in the game itself, unfortunately, you don't have the intro for the German version. I was uh, very sad to see it. It's not something I was actually, you're teaching me this because I didn't know there was like another dub for the for the team version. But as far as I know, uh, if it was different, it's probably like a licensing thing because I feel like Dotemu probably quote unquote owns the Mike Patton version or at least has the proper licensing for it. So that's why we were able to reuse it in the game versus maybe just using it for a trailer. Ah, so obviously they got the permission to use it for the announcement trailer in German, but not for the game. Anyway, so how did you go about writing the the character dialogue and the plot? As you are the script writer, there mm-hmm. must be some starting point for you. The starting point for me as when you do it narrative design is that you look first at what game genre you're doing first and with a beat em up no especially with that konami formula beat em up you know that <laughs> it's going to be action first the cutscenes are very short it's not a game where you stop for a minute and a half scene where character talk and there's a big plot reversal and stuff like that it all happens really quickly either in-game or in cutscenes, and it never stops. So for me, first part of it was figuring out whatever the story is, how do we tell it? And it was, again, the formula dictated it that it was these shortcut scenes and never stopping the rhythm. So first there's that, and then there's the understanding that beat-em-ups are essentially chase scenes 
but the characters don't get to run after the bad guy because they have to fight a whole bunch of bad guys. So it has to be a plot or a story where something is being constantly stolen away from them and they have to run after that thing. And there are constant obstacles in that in their way. When you figure out the shape or the way you're going to tell that stories, then it's figuring out the, the plot. So it's, in my case, for the game, the game designer, Jonathan. And the aforementioned Jonathan, who's my cousin, would say there are 15 levels and there are 15 levels. There are three that are vaguely urban city. There's one technodrome. There's, there are two technodrome-ish level. There's a zoo level. There's a beach level. There's... All of that, and those are laundry lists of basic ingredients. And what I do then is find, he also tells me like, oh, this level is going to be Bebop and Rocksteady, and Bebop and Rocksteady are going to be in the bosses for five levels. This level is a Rat King. This one is, this one is that. And from that, he gives me like these basic ingredients. And then I figure out uh, the story that links these levels together with these bosses. And then what I do is do a lot of research to create some sort of progression within those levels. And so for one level, one thing that I'll do is pretty much, let's say the sewer level, like I'm told it's going to be the sewer level, the red things at the end. But my idea was like, oh, it'd be cool if the first third of the level was a subway level that goes into the sewer so you have an impression of progression like you get the impression that the level changes and also because the continuity of it it's based on the 87 turtles but to me the timeline is 87 to 92 really the time that exists in these games i would research what subway stations in new york look like in that era and so i would write a document about the level saying okay it starts with an opening of a subway station and I put a whole bunch of pictures. I find a bunch of references of the subway station for the artists. So they have a whole, they have a whole buffet of options and ideas to choose from and they pick what interests and what sparks their imagination. And then I do the same thing like for a bit part of the, the sewers and ideas and I put, oh, they there's 80s subway and then there are these old New York forgotten subway stations that you see in the second turtle movie. So we could have a bit of a nod to that and then it should go straight into the actual sewers. And then it's coming up with the, uh, the bus arena where we figured out, oh, it's just going to be some sort of sewer dungeon. There's the foot ski that the Rat King may or may not have used in Turtles in Time. And that's it. So I write documents like this and I write big documents like this for every level to create progressions. And the because beat-em-ups can feel really repetitive and part of the trick of the beat-em-up, whether it's the like our game designer, Fred, who would design all the waves of bad guys coming through the player. Like he has to work endlessly to make sure that it's not too repetitive, but then it's also figuring out art-wise, make sure that the sewer is not just sewers. It's it's 80 subway, old subway, eventually sewers, and then something else. And also trying to figure out funny gags of foot soldiers sleeping on the bench or dropping in and stuff like that, so that the foot soldiers are not always appearing from right to left coming out of off screen like they have different spawns so you feel like you're not seeing the same thing over and over so i also suggest a lot of ideas and draw storyboards 
for these type of ideas. But that was earlier in the game. Later on, the animators all had their own ideas for new spawns <laughs> for foot soldiers. So they would come up with way better stuff than I did. I'm glad that you not had overhead levels like on the original NES game. I guess you played it. As yes. I said, NES was your entry point mm -hmm. in the video games. The original NES Turtles is considered one of the hardest games on the system. And wow. It's really mean to make a game that hard for children who are going to be thrilled to play as their favorite heroes. And well, it's really hard. I guess also they might, maybe the thinking was, look, they're buying it. They're going to have to really work on it to finish it. So it, that game is going to last them a while. But uh, no, yeah, no overworld uh, that was that difficult because uh, the, I, I still love the, I think the, it recreates the vibe of the original 80s Eastman and Laird comics pretty well. And there's some really good music in it. And we put a couple <laughs> of homages to it in the game, but that's a rough game. That's a hard game to play. That was actually my, about to be my next question. I don't know if you have any, if you had any play into the difficulty of the game. But it feels a lot like the arcade games. I actually have the original PCB of the original arcade game. And how did you go with the gameplay to not make it too difficult, but also not too easy? As you mentioned, the early NES game was pretty difficult. And even the arcade games are made difficult. So you can lose your pocket money and mm -hmm. insert tokens all the time to continue playing. So how did you keep the... A feeling of playing a successor to the arcade games, but not make, not, well, not, I don't know how to say, how, not to scare away new players that are not used to the high difficulty of the old games. That's, those are decisions that uh, the game designers like Jonathan and Fred made early on. And uh, the, I think one of the main idea was that through the gameplay, through the fighting, they wanted the player to feel powerful and competent as fighters, as ninja warriors. And one thing that they did is that the, the hit detections and the collisions during fighting are much more forgiving. Because in the arcade, you really had to be like precisely aligned with the foot soldiers to hit them. Like you had to be right in front of them. Whereas our collisions, they're more almost magnetized. It's more like you have slight aura where you can hit the foot soldiers. Right. So it makes the fighting less frustrating and uh, you enjoy it a bit more. And I think that it makes you, it makes the player more able to take on any difficulty or gradually mounting difficulty within the game. We didn't want the game to be too hard because it's colorful and it's cartoony looking. So we, um, it's the most accessible versions of the turtles so we wanted like a younger kid to be able to play it uh, as well and that's something that we saw a lot uh, as the game came out like a lot of uh, parents play it with their kids they get to share that game that version of the game from their youth with their kids and that's something that we really wanted to be approachable when i compare how i play game boy games nowadays back then uh, in the early 90s when i was a kid I, the reflexes go bad, but you are more how to say, clever, strategic. smart, strategic. strategic, right? To find ways through the levels, needing less, less good, ref, uh, less good reflex, reflexes. But you also still, get better patience too. When you're a kid, you have no patience to get through the game. You just want to. True. One thing that I noticed when I, when I looked at the community tab at Steam 
for the PC release. There, there were some people that, that were really disappointed that you could select April or Neil as a playable mm -hmm. character. And that totally surprised me. It surprises me as well. In every other single version of the Turtles, April eventually fights and picks up moves of her own. So we always wanted to do that for the game. In our first ideas or plans for the game, like it was playable Splinter and playable April O'Neil. That's something we always wanted to do. And we were really excited about that because it with Splinter and April, it allowed us to quote unquote, create new characters for the game, even though they're existing characters. And with her, to me, like her yellow jumpsuit is so <laughs> iconic, but that's also a design of a character who gets into fights and adventures. It's not a design of a character that tied up and kidnapped all the time. So for all of us, it just made sense that she would be able to kick some butt. And it was really exciting to finally be able to do that and like, the artist did an awesome job of animating her. I remember like my ideas were like, she should be moving Cynthia Rothrock. It's how she should be fighting, especially Cynthia Rothrock from Yes Madam. And I'm, I would share YouTubes of that and YouTube clips of that. And that's how she fights. That's, that should be it. And we were really thrilled about that. And some people really dislike that because it's a divergence from the cartoon canon, but they, they didn't fight in the cartoon. Like, they, they fight in the first six or seven episodes, and then it's they get picked up and thrown around by Bebop and Rocksteady, or they throw stuff, or they use their weapon on a thing that short-circuits the enemies. They really don't fight the, uh, as much, so we went around that. It's interesting that you noticed this thing as well. I was totally surprised. Perhaps it's also because people were connected to the old games and then disappointed to see that there are play playable characters that wouldn't be in the original games. But I personally, I enjoyed most playing with Splinter. Mm -hmm. Even though he is slower than the other characters, yeah, but he's it's you know, awesome. unstoppable. He's the sensei. Yeah, there's something about we were really happy to make too, and I feel like, again, a lot of us met these characters when we were kids, and it's not my case, but a lot of us either playing the game or making the game are parents, and a Splinter becomes different when you're older. You relate to Splinter a bit more, yeah. or if you're an uncle or a dad or a mom, suddenly he makes more sense to you or he's cooler. So there was something that we felt that worked also that having a Splinter as a playable character. Ah. I mean, with the Turtles, <clears throat> at least the original cartoon series, it was mostly like either April is kidnapped or the city is attacked. So, a lot of those, a lot of building a science fiction contraption that will threaten the city. There's, I, I rewatched like a, a, I didn't need to rewatch a lot of the show because I watched it so much as a kid. It was mostly ingrained in me, but uh -huh. rewatch it, rewatching it, there's, the plots are really not that great, but <laughs> the, the characters and the vocal performance that animates these characters is really good. It's as good as the voice acting in, say, Batman the Animated Series. They, these characters are really iconic. The cartoon, the plots, because they're not great adventure stories, let's say, but it's more like a funny sitcom with funny family sitcom pitting 
two families against each other. One is a family that never gets along, were represented by Krang and Shredder, who are the mom and dad, and their idiot children, who are Bebop and Rocksteady, and sometimes any other villains are the visiting idiot cousin, versus a family that sort of have their problems, but they always stick together, and that are turtles. And it's more, as a comedy, it works better as a comedy than an adventure show. How about the multiplayer experience? Can you talk about that, or weren't you involved at all? In the When I'm doing narrative stuff, I'm not truly involved with the inner workings on that, but I'm on the, the sidelines. Like, we made a whole, a lot of the game during a couple of lockdowns and stuff like that that we had in Canada. And it was really important, even though uh, none of us were in the office, we were all apart. We felt like, oh, we have to create like a really cool multiplayer experience because these characters are a family. And so there's something that makes sense about them coming together and fighting the, their, their enemies. But at the same time, we were imagining, oh, it has to feel right that Maybe you can't get together with all of your friends or your families in the same room right now, but you still want to play the game and you want to be able to do that online and multiplayer wise. So that's something that was really important to us that we worked really hard to make work. Awesome. So it sounds like you were also involved a bit into the level design and stuff, at least from what you explained earlier. Not exactly. Like, I'm more of in painting the level once it's designed. Like, And by painting, I mean su suggesting a lot of ideas. But sometimes I would just suggest, oh, there could be this and there could be that in the level and I'm leaving it off to the game, to the level designers and to the artists to see if it's doable. Like I knew that we had, eventually we have a rooftop level. So I think I suggested, oh, that's the great part where we can put like the exotic part of elevator level design, like where you have characters just jumping in on the platform as you go up. So. I suggest stuff like that if I have these ideas, but whether they're implemented or not, like that depends on the actual people who are doing that hard work of, of, of making sure that the moving platform works or that the artists that have to paint and draw and make sure all that stuff works. Awesome. Awesome. Super. So is there something about the game you would like to, ha to see having changed in, in, in hindsight? Or are you generally totally happy with how the how the game turned out i'm really happy with how the game turned out there are parts that you can't really predict because uh, like the fact that we got access to the original voice actors from the cartoon was a really big deal for us and it, it was a surprise when you're making that game earlier you're like it'd be cool to have voice acting in it but you don't Full on needed. If you have in the beat em up, if you have a couple of grunts and a couple of celebratory voice acting for the end of a level, you can be good. Like you, that's the minimum you need. But once we knew that that we'd have uh, access to these actors, these wonderful actors, I wish that if we had known more in advance, we probably would have tried to give them more different sound bites. Let's say. Whenever you meet a boss, I would love it if, depending which character you are, that each every character has a one-liner to say to that boss. That's something I would have liked, like to have more flavor and stuff like that. But it's just something that we, that it just cut off by surprise, so we couldn't. So it's stuff like that relating to my own part of the job. 
But otherwise, I am really thrilled with what we've done. I'm really proud of it. As I was seeing, again, we were not working in the same office, so it all happened over Discord. So of sometimes, course, yeah. yeah, so we'd have our main TMNT channel, and sometimes I would see new animations come in for either the Turtles, for April, or for the bosses. I was like, ah. Oh. This stuff looks great. I can't wait for the people to see it and play it. It's gonna look and like the first time I listened to T Lopes tracks, I'm like, oh, this is banging. This rules. I was feeling pretty confident that the game would be really good. I didn't expect that it would be that much of a success right out of the gate, but I was like, I feel like this thing is pretty good. And I was really looking forward for other players to discover it. So on the whole, I'm really proud of what we've done. And so, like I said, on my part, like adding more flavor with the voice acting would have been cool, but that's, it wasn't meant to be that time. That's okay. Perhaps you make a successor. Shredder's real revenge or last revenge or final revenge or whatever, and then yeah. you can make it better. That kind of stuff is sadly not up to us. I think we'd love to get another crack at doing the turtles. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. It's with uh, big franchises like this. Mm. It's we're already extremely lucky to have been able to do it once. Doing it again, I thought that would be thrilling. But it's okay to just get one bite at that apple in your lifetime because again, it's a big thing. I. Like, I would hope that they do other games. Like, we were really lucky and we got to do, like, a really big homage to the 87 cartoon. But one thing I'd like to be, that I see someday, like, I'm not a mega fan of, say, the 2003 cartoon, but I want someone who's really in love with that cartoon to get to do his game or her game homage to that version. Like, that would, like, I feel like that's something we got really, people are enjoying the game. And one thing I was really proud is people saying that it felt like we truly loved that stuff and we respected it, which is the case. And I think that there's something like if you give a smaller studio, a big franchise that they truly love, you can really come out with a really solid game and a really fun game because we've all seen games based on franchises that we enjoy, that we love, that were done way too quick or not being given the attention or the, of, or the love that the team wanted to give it, and it results in a average game. So we were really lucky to get to do the best possible version we could do of that Turtle Games. You mentioned earlier that you did a lot of remote work. Is that Was that because of the pandemic or because the team is scattered on different places? I uh, think you are in Quebec, Canada, for example. Yeah, that's true. We did a lot of remote work because it was, uh, yeah, because of the pandemic. A lot of us, a big part of the team is all in Montreal, but uh, no one was going to the office because, again, in Montreal, we have, I think a lot of people were, you use the mass transit system to go to work and during a pandemic like that was just ill-advised. So a lot of it was in remote work because of that, but also we work with a lot of freelancers, especially on the animation side, because it was our most animation heavy project yet. So we work with animators for from a bunch of places through Discord. And yeah, that was again, really exciting to see someone typing, okay, I'm clocking in for today. And four <laughs> hours later, they send you a bunch of gifts that look amazing of a foot soldier doing something silly or just 
the sweet turnaround of a boss character and it's so well realized like that it was uh, a delight interesting that you mentioned it you mentioned that you had the chance to do a new 87 based game was incredible and you don't know if you get a second chance for that i remember we had a similar statement five years ago when we interviewed ron gilbert about monkey island not actually we were interviewing him about thimbleweed park Mm -hmm. And he made the statement like, I don't think Disney will ever allow me to make a mo another Monkey Island. And we all know what happened afterwards, right? These guys are more connected to the success of Monkey Island than we are to the overall success of the Turtles, though. But again, that's something we'd like to do. But with these cases, again, these awesome characters are owned by these huge companies and they have their own plans for them. And we're lucky that we got to hop on the train for a while. And mm -hmm. maybe that's maybe that's where we stand off the train. We step off the train. And that was our little bit of a road with the turtles. But who knows? <laughs> maybe we'll come back. It would be uh, cool because I think all of us really enjoyed it. And certainly the results. Like it was really thrilling to see the response to it and how people mostly really enjoyed it. It was funny because I've worked with a, on a bunch of games in my life, but there's only one game where I had someone from high school contacting me on Facebook out of the blue saying, telling me, hey, I played the game, I'm playing it with my son, we're having a lot of fun, and it's really cool. That only happened with the Turtles, so. On the other hand, if the original people or the original publisher uh, contributed to a game that they originally worked on it's not always it's not always a guarantee for having a good successor see for example contra i've actually been invited some years ago at the press conference at gamescom where konami released their new contra it wasn't that that game wasn't that well received yeah i think you know that i that contra magic might be of its time specifically. Super Contra was pretty good on the Super NES, but I feel like the specific Contra juice, it's hard to replicate. I don't know if it's figuring out like the proper enemy placement or the, the proper level design, or maybe as players, the souped up weapons, we need them to be different now. It's, I don't know, it seems like of all like the genres that keep coming back and are like, like Metroidvanias are reinvented all the time, but Contra seems to be like a hard one to crack to to bring back to modern. Maybe it's replaced by Metal Slug. I don't know. Maybe Metal Metal Slug has taken the crown for from Contra. I don't know. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. I didn't have to ask so many questions. You already bursted out it all yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm getting to be an old man at these interviews. Like I know what people want to know, but I'm I'm available for any other questions. Uh, should you have them? So far, so far uncovered from my side. I don't know, H.A., Do you have anything to add? Not not really. No, I've seen previews of the game. It looks amazing. It's the first time we really get to get that that Turtles arcade because I played it on the NES and had it on the Game Boy back in the day. But this is like the first time you get like the arcade experience in the house because computers can do that now. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I would challenge that. The arcade conversion called Coinup on the Commodore and NES, I think, was pretty good for its time back okay. then. Okay. Okay. I don't. I never played those, so I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Did you play it? The Coinup? 
conversions? The not on Commodore. Like I played the arcade game on the NES a lot. Like I that my almost my my notions of turtles of the arcade. Like I remember the first time, a couple of times I played, but the first time it put my brain on fire because I couldn't believe that it felt so much like stepping into the cartoon. But then I played mostly the NES version, the arcade game on the NES, and Turtles in Time on the Super Nintendo. Like Turtles 3 Manhattan Project was later NES period, and I feel like I might have moved on to the Super NES at that point. But Turtles in Time and the arcade game are the ones that I played the most. And I thought they were pretty solid. That's actually right. I think the coin-up was released in 91, and at this time it was already prepared for the Super NES. So that was late in the NES era. Yeah. That's correct, yes. So, <clears throat> I don't know, what is there apart from, as I said, modest difficulty compared to the original NES game that you put in for the new players that have never played and a turtle game before, especially put in. We have parry and escape moves that the arcade games didn't have, because we thought that was a way at first because the turtles are ninjas, so it makes sense to give them that acrobatic type of moves. But also, it felt like a good way to be able to add some depth to the combat, but also for a younger player, again, to be able to get out, say, of a foot soldier trap. So. It felt like a good way to avoid the sun projectiles and also get out of troubles. And yeah, so that's one of the big ones that I feel that we added. We also have the big special moves that don't cost you any health. That can be, you need to fill up a bar and you can do that with taunts, which is another thing that we added because we felt like the taunts would show the turtle. At the same good occasion like to give them some uh, a bit more character so yeah it's giving them their these more modern moves that still feel like it, it fits in that 2d brawler aesthetic it, it doesn't break the original konami structure because i feel like the konami beat-em-up structure is really solid and it opens itself to be added on and experimented with as long as you don't break the initial thing and you remember back in the day like they really pumped out like a lot of arcade games with different licenses on top of it. There was the Simpsons one, there was the X-Men one, and it felt like they had that basic structure like pretty well nailed down. And then they felt like, oh, let's try it with like three screens, like on the X-Men arcade game, or, oh, I think it was two or three. Anyways, a big, large arcade, or maybe adding a lot of environment interaction, like in the Simpsons game. That version, that idea like felt like that it could be freshened up without making it what, without removing what was special from it. That's actually true, yes. The original and turtle games didn't have so much moves. And now that you mention it, it felt more like playing a double dragon game. You had yeah, special was, moves like double round kick and stuff. Yeah, I was just going to ask, are the turtles actually ninjas? Because ninjas are supposed to be like stealthy and stuff. This is more like just karate turtles. Yeah, I feel like they're really bad at being invisible, <laughs> yes. stealthy warriors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm For my own personal uh, culture, I started reading about the actual history of ninjutsu and how it developed. And it ninjas were essentially spies, but... Yeah, yeah. So I guess that first Splinter, before they came out of the sewers to fight, he was thinking like, oh... They're doing great ninjutsu right now, but as soon as they came out, 
Like yeah. it was all, they became karate turtles or just fighting turtles mm-hmm. or martial art fighter turtles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Even, even in disguise with their big ugly human heads and the trench coats, they didn't never never quite fit the, in. The human heads are so upsetting looking. <laughs> They're, it's they're really li- nightmare inducing. They are <laughs> amazing. I wish we could have put just we would have loved to do alternate costumes. Like it was like a, really early on, but it was like oh no, we'd have to draw entirely new characters for each costume. So it's not worth it. But yeah. imagine playing with imagine like a weird six-year-old child who only wants to play in the turtles as the masked human turtle and yeah. it's, all, it's all that child wants i'm sorry we couldn't give, give them that option the, the, the goal is to go and get a pizza and bring it back to the sewers and you have to dress yeah. just not be noticed by everyone with your giant horrible human head like that, that that's a that's an idea that we've given out for free for a future developer <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah super super interesting yeah, so nice talking to you. So now let's be now, now let's be theoretical. What would you make out of it if you had the chance to work on a successor of the game? Any ideas you would pitch? If we get to do it, I can't. I feel if we had to, if we get to do, if we got to do a sequel, you ease, you rapidly see why they did Turtles in Time because reusing street level new york again you can in a game it might get boring so you realize oh that's why it's turtles in time so they can go to different eras and have a variety of levels that's probably where the idea comes from so i feel like if we did a sequel we'd have not necessarily go back in time but we'd have to find new locales for the turtles to fight in turtles and turtles in space which kind of space and whatever but what if we got to do more, what it'd be, I'm a really big fan of the modern IDW Turtle comics. And they created a lot of really cool characters in that comics. And making these characters new playable characters is something that I would love. Especially like Jenica, who was the fifth female turtle. She she has she's like a former she's a former shredder protege who got wounded in battle and basically she has the she-hulk origins because leonardo gives her blood and she turns into a turtle and she's like the, their sister like for the first time the turtles have a sister and she's a really cool character and she has these sick wolverine like blades as weapon because that's one of the old ninja weapons that exist so I would love to have Jenica as a playable character and a whole bunch of characters from these comics that 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 are I'm shocked they're not already action figures and they would be super cool to play as characters there are a bunch of characters from the toy lines that I feel like we haven't gotten and our animation team would have <laughs> loved to to create so I guess my ideas and wishes if we had to do a sequel would be what excites our animators and our game designer and our artists and how we can make a game out of it. Cause that's the way you get like better game. And you want to lean into that passion, especially if you're making a sequel to something like <laughs> you, you want to people to get hyped for it. Or make a DLC out of it. Just credit me for the idea because I asked you the question. <laughs> yeah. Again, DLC it's when I hear people want DLC, the I hear that people want more of that game, and that's extremely flattering, and that's really cool that they want more of it. 
And I do not know if we're going to be able to provide it because again, these aren't our characters. So we don't get to do these kind of decisions for the game. But I think that's something we'd be into and that we'd love to, to provide. Because again, it means that people want more of it. And that's really flattering. Still in the media, I think just a few weeks ago, I've read you made a sales record for the game. Yeah, in the first, .mu came out with that. We sold 1 million copies in our first week, which again, like I was saying earlier, like I thought the game was good. And I thought that the game was going to be a success for us sales-wise at our company, but I did not expect that it would be that much of a success. Like that one was like a nice surprise for all of us to know that again, I'm like, this is good. It's gonna, it's gonna sell okay. And where the studio gets to exist for another year, but I did not expect that type of sales and we were really humbled and proud of it. And it's really cool. Do you have a fear that now the quality and um, the quality level is so high set for future games that you can't make the next game even a bitter, bigger success? Or is that not how you think? It, it, we try not to think like that too much. One of the things is we know that part of the success is, of course, we think and the people agree that the game is good, but also it's because we made a game with these characters. And making a game with these characters mean that right out of the gate, more there's more eyes on it, there's more interest in it, and more people are going to buy it. Again, like Tribute is 10 years old, like we've done a bunch of games, and we uh, have certainly seen the difference between creating original characters and using previously known characters who are beloved. Like that's a sales difference, even if, and so for the next game, whichever it end up to be, like whether it's a sequel to one of our original characters or original characters that we did, you can't really compare it to TMNT unless we're blessed by the gods and for a second time in our careers and get access to a franchise that is just as cool or even bigger. But again, that is, that's like asking to have two Christmases a year. You have to temper your expectations, but I guess it's possible, but it's not realistic to think in that same type of, we can expect the game to be as good. We feel that it as good, but to be as popular, that's a whole lot of thing. I think a similar thing happened with the last Dune game that was also done by a small indie developer. And uh, people were like, yeah, it's not bad, but they wished EA would have done it or something. Oh, no, it wasn't EA, it was Westwood Studios back mm -hmm. then. But of course, nowadays, those companies either don't exist anymore or the franchise is owned by a different company now. Yeah, that's right. Well, Where can people I, I, go to find what you're doing, the, the game and everything? You can find Tribute at Tribute Games on Twitter, Tribute Games on Instagram, and TributeGames.com on the regular internet. And from there, there are the, the links to every other games in our catalog. Check out our back catalog. Like we have made a whole bunch of wonderful games like Ninja Sinki, Mercenary Kings, Fintook, Panzer Paladin. Like that's our most recent game before the Turtles. We also published our first game, which is still Assault. Like that's, we didn't develop it, but we shepherded it and we helped develop it. That's a really good action platformer. And yeah, keep an eye out to see if there's going to be a future games that are published or developed by us. But in the meantime, you can find our most recent game, Shredder's Revenge, on all great game platforms. Awesome. Awesome. And Beautiful. I also Beautiful. would like to, to everything mention... down there in the podcast description. Of course. Thanks for sitting with us.
Yeah, thank you. No problem. Thanks for inviting me, guys. No problem. Absolutely. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks. You too. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>